Hello, good morning everyone. I'm Phil, one of the assistant pastors. Um, I'm going to be taking us through uh, the second sermon in our Advent series. We're tracing the theme of uh, sheep and shepherds through the Bible because it's quite an important one and it's particularly wonderful because it gives us, on the negative side, it gives us a not very flattering picture of what we are like. But on the positive side, it gives us a really wonderful picture of the heart of God and his care for his people. So let me pray, and then we will dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this time, this passage, a long one, but with some really wonderful, comforting truth in it. Please, Father, would you give us um, ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have to say to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how we keep putting our, we keep getting our hopes up when a new leader or a new influencer or someone in position of authority comes along who seems better than whoever was there before? We all know don't we, that prime ministers overpromise, and we know that teachers can appear great at start with, they're all matey with a new class, but then as time goes on, they get grumpy, they make bad decisions about who is actually being naughty and tell the wrong person off. We get bosses like that who we think they're on our side to start with, and then sooner or later, there's another side to their character that starts to emerge. We might see that with a favorite celebrity who we think is going to be this sort of great cultural influencer, but then sooner or later they fall from grace. They say the wrong thing. They turn out to be a hypocrite. It happens all the time. And yet somehow we keep daring to hope that this new prime minister or teacher or boss or whoever it is, is going to be better. Things, life's going to be better now than it was before. And usually, we end up disappointed. And perhaps, as we get older, we get more cynical as a result. And at a very basic level, if any of that resonates with you, Ezekiel 34 and hopefully this sermon offer hope when we feel disillusioned and disappointed. This passage shows us someone better than a mere human being to put our trust in. But this passage also, I think, speaks a particular hope to Christians. We may say that we don't trust in princes, like the Psalms tell us not to, but we often pin a lot of hope and expectation on church leaders. Maybe we get really attached to a particular favorite celebrity pastor. We, we love listening to their sermons or reading their books or following them on Twitter. And how much hurt do we then feel when that leader falls? There have been plenty of them even over the last decade. Thousands more through 2,000 years of church history. When they get caught in a scandal, some kind of abuse or bullying or moral failure, how much does that hurt? And how pessimistic do we feel when a, a much-loved church leader dies and, or burns out and leads, leaves ministry? 
How discouraged are we when we hear of church leaders who mislead their flocks with false teaching? Maybe prosperity gospel, maybe a gospel of self-fulfillment that just baptizes the desires of uh, secular culture. Maybe a legalistic gospel that says we somehow have to earn God's love. And perhaps closest to home, how neglected do we feel when a church leader, perhaps the leaders here at MRC, fail to provide the help you feel you need with a particular struggle you face and you feel like you're all alone with it? We can have big expectations of our church leaders. And that's, you know, with, with some justification, <laughs> church leaders should measure up to a higher standard than your average secular leader does, because the Bible says so. But pastors still wrestle with their own sin. We still wrestle with our own weakness and our own limitations as much as anyone else in the church. And however much progress Jesus has enabled a given leader to make in you know, their walk with the Lord and becoming more like him, they're never going to be the finished article this side of, of Jesus' return. And so we regularly disappoint and we mess up. Sometimes, when you look back over church history or when you look at the state of a lot of churches now, Maybe it does look like we are sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you feel, even in MRC, like a sheep without a shepherd. And if that is you, I hope that you will see from Ezekiel 34 that you are not without a shepherd. Where human leaders fail, God still shepherds his people. And it offers us great comfort and hope. So, firstly, as we dive in, let's see how we got to the situation described in Ezekiel 34 with all these bad shepherds. So last week, we, as I said, we started tracing out this theme of sheep and shepherds. We saw that we were made to live under God's care. We, as people, are meant to be like sheep, with God as our shepherd, our good, loving shepherd. But the problem is that our, ever since our first ancestors, our hearts have been poisoned by this kind of hereditary distrust of God, disbelief in God's promises, so that we don't follow our shepherd, we run from him. And he constantly has to bring us back. But wonderfully, we saw last week in Numbers 27, that is exactly what he does. All the way through those first books of the Bible, he is shepherding his people. And then he gives them human leaders to act as kind of under-shepherds as well. And that's a real kindness of God, because we, we struggle to relate to a being who is, as I said last week, eternal and invisible and outside of space and time and holy and all the rest of it. He's not like us, and we struggle to relate to him. So he gives human leaders who stand between us and him and mediate his, 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 his love and his promises and his commands to us. That is a kindness. 
And, and Moses and Joshua were examples of that in Numbers, uh, Numbers 27. But then we get loads more examples. Between Numbers and Ezekiel, there's a lot of Old Testament history, and we get, we get the judges, we get prophets, we get priests, we get particularly the kings who shepherd God's people. And King David is probably the most notable one as a literal shepherd boy who then gets made the shepherd king of Israel. So God gives human shepherds. And there are some really wonderful moments of national faithfulness in Israel and or Judah through those hundreds of years. They follow God at times. He gives victory over their enemies. They live in peace and prosperity in the land. But there is still a problem. Because sooner or later, each of those good shepherds, not perfect, but good shepherds, dies. Samuel dies. David dies. Solomon goes bad and then dies. Hezekiah dies. Josiah dies. The others die. Just like Moses and Joshua, and the people are left again like sheep without a shepherd. And for every good shepherd, there is at least one bad one. And as time goes on, there are more and more bad ones. The good ones become very rare. At best, these bad kings, bad priests, they tolerate false worship of Yahweh. They tolerate idolatry. At worst, they lead the people in it. They lead the people in breaking Yahweh's good laws. And this pattern emerges. When the king is faithful, most of the nation is faithful, on the surface at least, maybe not at the level of the heart. But on the surface, things look good. But when the king is bad, everything goes to pot, and most of the nation go long way astray. And the people are culpable for their own sin in that. But the leaders, the shepherds, they bear special responsibility because of the example they set and the direction they were meant to give. So by, by the time Ezekiel's writing, around the 6th century BC, all of the kings were terrible. Each nation, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, had utterly broken faith with God. They were filled with idolatry and lust and greed and cruelty, the same as or worse than the surrounding nations. So their human shepherds were a good gift from God, but they utterly failed in the end to lead the nation where it was supposed to go. And the consequence was exile. God gave them into the hands of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, to carry them off away from their land, back into slavery, just how they started in Egypt. This is where Ezekiel's writing. He's writing from exile in Babylon in the 6th century. And in chapter 34, he gives God's verdict on these bad shepherds. But then he also gives God's solution. And the things he speaks of, they are partially fulfilled. Like so many things in, in the Bible, this is a kind of now and not yet thing. We are still living in the middle of what God talks about doing in Ezekiel 34. 
I, so I couldn't quite figure out how to apply that as I go through the passage. What I'm going to try and do instead is, is unpack the passage briefly and then draw out the ways it applies to us in the present. So firstly, if we look at verses 1 to 10, we get God's verdict on the bad shepherds. So the kings especially, but probably also the priests and the false prophets and the nobility, they had exploited and neglected God's flock. You see in verse 4, God had appointed them to tend, to care for the flock, to strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, bring back the strays, search for the lost. And in return, any hired shepherd in ancient culture would expect to get a a share of the produce of the flock from themselves. With with literal shepherds, you know, some of the wool, some of the the milk and the cheese, some of the meat. But these shepherds of Israel had ransacked the flock for their own gain, verse 3, while totally failing to care for it. And elsewhere in Ezekiel, we see that they were extorting money. They were robbing, murdering, oppressing the poor and the weak. They were accepting bribes, denying justice. They were leading the people in idolatry, forgetting God, and committing adultery and incest left, right, and center. Jerusalem was full of it if you read chapter 22. Maybe that sounds horrific, but how much has changed? You'll find all of those things going on in one or another part of the world today. The only, perhaps the the real shock is that it was God's people doing it. And their shepherds were the biggest culprits. And so the flock was ravaged, scattered, plundered. The surrounding nations attacking them, killing them, carrying them off into exile. What's God going to do? Verse 10, he is against them. He is going to remove the shepherds and hold them accountable and rescue his people from their mouths. Isn't that a relief? That God is not indifferent to abusive leadership among his people. God really cares about it. And he is saying here, he is was going to and is doing something about it. So what's his solution? Verses 11 to 31, the rest of the chapter. He himself is going to come as the shepherd. He's going to search for them in verse 11. He's going to look after them in verse 12. He's going to make them lie down, that is to give them rest and to give them rich pasture in verse 14. He's going to search for the lost and bring back the strays and bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. All the things that Israel's human shepherds failed to do, God is going to do, says in verse 16. But he's not just going to bring them back. He's also going to shepherd the flock with justice. The other thing that the kings failed to do. Because the problem is not just the bad shepherds, But from verse 17 onwards, it's bullies in the flock, among the sheep. Strong rams and goats, so to speak, who who use their strength to dominate and take the best of everything for themselves and leave the weak and the lean with just the dregs 
So you have a flock that is exploited from above and neglected, uh, sorry, um, and bullied from within. But God is going to save them and judge and destroy the bullies. And instead of them, he is going to appoint, in verse 24, a new, and I, I, I get the impression just from the, the sense of permanence in these verses, a lasting, forever under-shepherd, his servant David. David being the height of faithfulness among the Old Testament kings. He is going to come and shepherd the flock, presumably without the failings of the literal David, with adultery and murder and all the rest of it. And the result is going to be this covenant of peace in verse um, 25. And what, he, what, what Ezekiel is doing there, he is picking up on the language of, of blessing in Leviticus 26, and the, the promises of blessing that God would pour out on his people when he made the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, with Moses. And God is saying that that blessing that was at the time conditional, is now going to be poured out, apparently unconditionally. Peace from enemies. No more slavery. No more fear. No more insults or scorn from the surrounding nations. Abundant blessing. Food security. No more famine. And safety in their own land. In God's pasture, with him among them, in the middle of them, on his holy hill, which is Jerusalem. So you've got this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of peace, of provision, of protection, and the presence of the Lord. All the things that sheep could want from their shepherd. So this is a picture of happy sheep. That may sound amazing, but we may be thinking, well, When's this going to happen? It doesn't look like we've reached that stage that God is promising yet. And so now we'll try and work through the application. And like I said before, it is a case of now and not yet. We are in the middle of God fulfilling these promises. So what has happened already? Well, firstly, Israel's bad shepherds at the time of Ezekiel were removed. When the Babylonians invaded, that was the end of, of those kings. And when the, um, the Persians in, took over and let the Jewish people go back to the land of Israel in 539 BC, that was another sort of partial fulfillment. The people were back in their land, as God said. But the problem is, they were under foreign rule for most of the next 500 years. They didn't have a proper Davidic shepherd over them. They had foreign oppressors over them. And even such leaders as Israel did have, well, they were still corrupt or spiritually compromised a lot of the time. They weren't faithful either to the letter or the spirit of God's law. But then Jesus comes. And this is a big change. He is accredited as God's king in David's line, but also as God himself by his miracles, his claims, and ultimately by the resurrection, which vindicates everything he has done and said. 
he is God come to shepherd his people and the shepherd in David's line in one person. And he is sitting at God's right hand, reigning over his people from heaven at this very moment. God's people now made up of both Jews and Gentiles have the promised divine and Davidic shepherd. He is here. The good shepherd who at this very moment is searching for lost sheep all over the world and will one day bring us together in one fold as he promises in John 10. That is what has been fulfilled. Of course, a lot hasn't been fulfilled yet. The church is still scattered. It's not gathered in one place in the promised land. We're still persecuted among the nations, very severely in some places. And we still have many bad leaders. There have been lots of notable scandals in recent years. I'm not going to name names. But there has been bullying and abusive leadership. There's been all sorts of moral failure. Famous names have been dragged through the mud. Victims have emerged all over the place who have been traumatized by what they've been through. Many have left the church altogether. And there are still false teachers, as I said at the beginning, misleading God's people. And even the best-intentioned leaders fail. We get stuff wrong. We miss stuff. We can't do everything. But we have our divine and Davidic shepherd watching over us. So the first thing to take from that is simply to rejoice. Rejoice that you have a shepherd. Even when all human shepherds fail, you have a shepherd. And so, despite all the failures and abuses and splits of the last 2,000 years, the church has grown. It's you know, all over the world, maybe not among every people group, but there are an estimated 2 billion people who would call themselves Christian in the world today. That's the largest religion in the world. The church has grown in spite of human leadership. Because Jesus is shepherding his flock. And just as he says in John chapter 6, he will not lose any that the Father has given to him. All who come to him, he will never drive away, and he will not lose any that the Father has given to him. So when you hear about yet another scandal or moral failure or church collapse, and when that brings back painful personal memories, perhaps, if you've experienced these things firsthand, when you wonder how the church would ever recover from such things, be comforted. Because the Good Shepherd is taking care of his sheep, and he will not lose any of his, no matter how much they have been hurt. 
He himself suffered at the hand of bad leaders. Falsely accused, rejected, bullied, beaten, tortured, crucified. He did that for us. He is a compassionate shepherd. He understands and he will not lose any that the Father has given him. More than that, he will now bind up the injured, heal trauma, strengthen those left shattered and weak by failed leaders. That healing process won't be complete in this life, but he has started it. He will continue it. So rejoice. We have a good shepherd, no matter how many times human leaders fail us. Keep pouring out your heart to him when you feel really discouraged or broken. He does hear, and he is compassionate, and he is caring for you. Secondly, for leaders and potential bullies, be warned. Be warned. We should humble ourselves before the Good Shepherd because he will judge. Now, I've not seen evidence of bullying at MRC, thankfully, in my year and a bit here, but it could happen. And the, the bit from verse 17, 16 onwards is a warning to anyone in the flock, not just elders, but anyone who would be tempted to, say, constantly push their own agenda or hog time in, in home groups or church meetings or one-to-one -one with pastors and elders, draining resources and time and energy from the rest of church life so that they can push their particular agenda to the ex at the expense of other people. And this is also a warning for, for anyone who would insist on their own way, on anything from music to the, the Bible translation we use to a doctrinal position that's not shared by the majority of the elders. If there is any way that any of us are tempted to try and push others out of the way to get what we want, this passage is a warning because the shepherd is watching and he will not stand idly by. He will call to account, and I mean, verse 16 says he will destroy the sleek and the strong, which Ezekiel equates with the, those who butt the weak and the lean out of their way and trample the pasture. And I take that to mean that anyone who, who bullies God's flock and does not repent of it will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then particularly for present and future elders or anyone who is in a, a position of spiritual oversight in the church, remember whose flock it is. Remember whose flock it is. Because in this chapter, in Ezekiel 34, 14 times God says, my flock, my sheep, or my people. It is God's flock, Jesus' flock. It is not our flock. 
We've not been entrusted with leadership for our own benefit, for personal gain. So we've not been put in positions of leadership so that we can be liked or well-respected and have power just for our own sense of gratification or self-importance. We've not been put in leadership for a sense of self-fulfillment just by doing the parts of the job we like and that we find most rewarding. We've not been put in leadership to gain a platform so we can build our own reputation, whether that's as a, a gifted speaker or a super effective church planter or a really well-known author or whatever your preferred niche within evangelical subculture is. And we've not been put in leaderships, even though this isn't so much of a risk in our own circles, I don't think, so that we can grow wealthy through persuading people to give to our ministry. We're not in leadership so that we can gain a following from you know, devising a particular method of discipleship or launching some exciting new movement of renewal in the church. Many of these things are good things if they happen. But we are not in leadership so that we can gain from that personally. It's his flock, not our flock. And we are in his service. We are just servants. And we will be held accountable for how we serve. That means we need to do the emotionally draining bits, the uncomfortable bits, the thankless bits of the job, and do it with humility and kindness. The going after the lost, the bringing back the strays, strengthening the weak, healing the injured, and feeding the flock faithfully with the word of God every week, even when that means teaching hard and countercultural, uncomfortable things that will make us unpopular. They're God's sheep, Jesus' sheep. We are here only to serve them. But also, on the plus side, if you are in any position of leadership, be encouraged. It is a high calling. I know I fail regularly, and I constantly feel discouraged by my limited capacity. I can't, you know, if I was the only pastor here, I could not keep watch over and tend 120 plus people consistently and equally by myself there would be a lot of people feeling neglected a lot of the time. But the church is not in my hands. It is not in any one of the elders' hands or one of the home group leaders' hands, ultimately. It is in the hands of the chief shepherd, Jesus. That ought to be a relief to us, that we don't have to carry everything. It doesn't matter that we can't do everything and fulfill every need we see around the church because Jesus can. And so we should express our dependence upon him not by running ourselves ragged and beating ourselves up because we can't do everything. And I'm saying this as much to me as anyone else. <laughs> but we should express our dependence by praying about all the needs that we see. Better to spend more time in prayer and make sure that the people are lifted up into Jesus' hands and then manage to just do a few of those things ourselves 
than to try and do everything, but never commit it in prayer, and ultimately we fail. And a more general point here for, for, for everyone, you know, Maudlin Road Church is a pretty transitory church. I've already seen quite a few people leave in the, the, the year I've been here and go on to work elsewhere. If and when you move on and you are looking for your next church, please hear the message of this chapter. Don't look for the church that has you know, the most magnetic personality as the pastor or the most impressive speaker or just you know, the best worship music or whatever. Look for humble shepherds who will love you, who will be examples to you, who will teach you faithfully and take care of you day by day, who will look out for you and pray for you. That is what matters most in a church. And similarly, be careful who you listen to online. I think most of us probably have our favorite big-name preacher who we, you know, we, we, we particularly like to listen to their sermons. But we can't see their lives an example, particularly if, if they're not in the local area. We can't see whether they give themselves lovingly in humble service to their flock. And they are not the shepherds that Christ has appointed over us in the local church. They're not accountable for us in the same way that the elders of the local church are. And so I would say, first and foremost, don't, don't follow your favorite big name preacher. They're a blessing, but don't, don't get too hung up on them. Follow the shepherds whose lives and examples you can see locally, whom you can trust because you can see the way they walk before the Lord Jesus. And remember that they are just under-shepherds. They are not your ultimate shepherds. And when they fail you, you still have a good shepherd. Finally, and much, much more briefly, don't lose heart because of present suffering. Please don't lose heart. If you are like me, when you see the way that so much of the church today is persecuted, or suffering. There's not just kind of militant persecution, state persecution going on out there. All of the things that Ezekiel talks about in chapter 34 are still going on. There are Christians who are enslaved as indentured laborers in brick kilns in Pakistan. There are Christians who are suffering famine in Zimbabwe and Mozambique and Madagascar. And there are Christians all over the world who are scorned and insulted and maligned, including in our country, as bigots at best or you know, peddlers of hate speech as an oppressive ideology at worst. All of the ways that the flock is suffering and was in Ezekiel's time, including at the hands of bad leaders, they are still going on. We are a long way from the kind of peace and blessing that God's people are promised in verses 25 to 31. But if God has fulfilled things this far, if he has come as the good shepherd to die for his sheep, and if he has 
preserved the church through 2,000 years of persecution and suffering and grown it in the midst of that. Will he not finish the job? Will he not fulfill these final promises too and bring us home to the, the new creation? I think he will. So let's pray and ask that he would do that soon. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have never left your people like sheep without a shepherd. You have sent your Son, best of all, to come and shepherd us. A man in David's line, one whom we can relate to, one who is like us, and yet he is also God. Thank you that he is reigning now, that he is shepherding the flock, that he will not lose any that you have given to him. Lord Jesus, help us please to be comforted by your ongoing presence and care and leadership for your church, no matter how many times mere human leaders fail. May we turn back to you and be comforted and have hope. And Lord, I pray, would you help those of us who, who lead or have influence or who are just strong personalities in this flock and therefore have the, are at risk of, of misleading the flock or bullying the flock. Lord, please keep us from that. Please keep us walking humbly before you. Give us soft hearts that we would, that we would not need stiff rebuke, but when when we go wrong, that we would quickly repent. Help us to be prayerful, not, not just activists, and commit the flock into your care. And Lord, would you shepherd us? Would you be binding up those who are brokenhearted or traumatized, strengthening those who feel weak? Lord, we all come with certain amounts of baggage. Please would you be healing and helping us, even today. And would you keep our hope up so that we would keep trusting you until the day that you bring us home, until the day that that covenant of peace, that that blessing and abundance is poured out. Lord, please come soon. Bring that day soon, we pray. Amen.